Welcome back to Cherry Avenue True Crime Podcast. Just a quick reminder that new episodes come out on the 15th and the 30th of each month, with occasional bonus episodes thrown out there in between. So please hit subscribe so you don't miss anything. I'll be the first to admit that when I hear that a parent or parents escaped a burning house unharmed and all of the kids die, I'm a little suspicious. And when you start watching this movie, that is how you feel. But there are questions. And the more you learn, the more you question. The movie and the case for this episode is Trial by Fire. It's a 2018 movie that I found available for streaming on Prime Video and Hulu. It stars Jack O'Connell, Laura Dern, and Emily Mead. It is the tragic and controversial story of Cameron Todd Willingham, who was sentenced to death in Texas for killing his three children, even after scientific evidence and expert testimony bolstered his claims of innocence. We will cover the movie, the story of what really happened, and the controversy. This episode contains descriptions of alleged murder and other assaults. Listener discretion is advised. The movie starts in Corsicana, Texas, December 23, 1991, at 9.04 a.m. A little girl is playing outside on her front lawn. We can see the little white house across the street from her. Flames erupt in one of the front windows of the white house, and then we hear a man coughing. The front door opens and a billow of black smoke comes out with a man crawling through it, coughing and choking. The little girl calls out for her mom. The man across the street is saying, My babies! The little girl goes in the house to get her mom. The man is fully outside now. He has a mullet and is wearing a pair of sweatpants, but no shirt. He is saying, My babies! My babies! Help! The little girl's mom comes out on the porch with her cordless phone and sees the man, who says, Call the fire department. She dials the phone. While she is reporting the fire, the man across the street goes to his firebird in the driveway. He opens the driver's door, reaches in, and then pushes the car back down the small driveway to the end of it. The neighbor is still on the phone, telling them that there are babies in there, while the man across the street takes the tire iron from the car and smashes out the front window. Fire shoots out of the broken window. The neighbor is on the phone, saying, There's been an explosion. The man goes towards the front door, but fire shoots out at him, pushing him back. The house is almost fully engulfed. He is crying now and says out loud, Please, God, let them be all right. He gets on his knees, Please, please, God. The fire trucks arrive. In the next scene, we see evidence being bagged up. Then we see the feet of a small child whose pajamas are being cut off with a pair of scissors. Then, back at the house, the fire investigators are there. In the master bedroom, they look around and say, It didn't start in here. They take pictures of the heavy metal rock band posters on the wall, and one of them says, What a sick puppy. In the kitchen, they note a refrigerator blocking a door. One of the investigators shakes his head and says, He didn't take any chances. They take pictures of everything. They note what they call crazed glass on the windows. They go into the kids' room, and one of them says, Piece of shit waited until they were asleep. They point to the middle of the room where they think he poured the accelerant, and then they follow what they think is a trail out the door and along the baseboard, then out to the porch. Both Todd and Stacy, the parents, are at the police station. 
The police and the fire investigators are there, and they ask the wife where she was, as she wasn't at home at the time of the fire. Todd tells them she works nights sometimes, and she stopped on her way home at the Salvation Army store to get the baby some Christmas presents. They ask them about the day before, if anything unusual happened. In a flashback, we see Todd driving his black firebird, rock music playing. He pulls into the driveway. He goes in the house. Stacy is there with the three little kids, two of them crying. Todd greets them and asks how his precious ladies are doing. One of the kids appears to be around two or three, and the others are maybe one. Stacy is trying to feed them all. He asks one of the babies, why is she crying? Then he puts his arm around Stacy and says, you girls are lucky. If your mama wasn't so pretty, you three wouldn't be here. He tries to kiss her, but she pulls away and tells him he stinks. What do you think? You can stay out all night and then come home and sweet-talk me? Honey, I had a couple of drinks. I already had one DUI, so I stopped at Mickey's. She gives him a look. He says, what? Then she tells him to have at it, and she leaves the room. So that night you went to work? The police detective asked Stacy. Yeah, I, I work nights. We need the money. And you stay home with the kids, they asked Todd. That's right. I guess I'm one of those stay-at-home dads everyone is talking about. There's another flashback to the day before the fire. Stacy comes out of the bedroom, dressed and ready to go to work. She has a condom in her hand. She asks him, what is this? Todd tells her she is the one that didn't want to have any more kids. Then what's it doing in your wallet, you bastard, she says. I don't know. I thought maybe surprise sex? Stacy says he's a liar. I'm not lying to you, honey. You ain't worth shit for a husband. Bitch, I'm here every goddamn day taking care of these kids. And why is that, she asks. Because you don't have a fucking job, that's why. Because you're a fucking loser. He covers her mouth and tells her she better shut the fuck up right now. She backs away from him and says, Or what? You going to hit me? You going to hit me again? Go on. Oh, that's right. You can't hit me. Because if you do, then I can't go to work. And I can't make you money to go out drinking and fucking and whatever else you do. Back at the police station. So Stacy went to work that night and you just stayed in bed? Yes, sir, Todd answers. Had a few beers, maybe? No. Reckon your kids sleep pretty sound? Usually. We see Todd grabbing a beer from the fridge and then looking in on the kids, sleeping soundly. Then that night, the detective prompts, It was morning, Todd says. I was asleep, so I thought I was dreaming at first, but I realized I could hear Amber screaming, Daddy, Daddy. He tells the investigators that everything was full of smoke and he couldn't see anything but blackness. He made it to their room and had to kick through the childproof thing. He tells him he never felt anything so hot in his life. He found Amber's bed and hoped he had her, but she wasn't on the bed. The whole room was in flames and he called out for her and the other girls. He couldn't take the heat and he went outside to catch his breath, and that is when he was yelling for the neighbor to call the fire department. They asked him if he knew anyone who wanted to hurt his family, and he said no. He tells them that they had three of the prettiest babies anyone could have asked for. He tells them that he and Stacy, off and on, they would fight and break up, but it was always the babies that would bring them back together. At the funeral, there is three little white coffins with flowers on top. We learn the names of the babies, Amber, Carmen, and Cameron. It is a short, sad scene in the movie. Then Todd and Stacy are driving home in the black Firebird. Todd asks Stacy if she wants to stop somewhere, maybe get something to eat. Stacy uses his full name. 
Cameron Todd Willingham, I don't want to hear your voice, and maybe never again. He tells her he is hurting too. They go back and forth with him saying she can't demonize him and her saying that she just doesn't want to talk with him. He tells her that if they are ever going to get through this, they have to work together. She tells him to stop the car and let her out. He asks her why and that no, he won't stop the car. She starts to yell for him to stop the car. She is crying now and she is yelling, saying, Those were my babies. Those were my babies and you didn't save them. Then the police pull them over. They tell Todd to get out of the car. Then, they say, Cameron Todd Willingham, you are under arrest for murder. Later, the lawyer tells him that if he pleads guilty, he might live. Todd says he will not confess to something he did not do. He tells him that he will say any goddamn thing he likes, but he will not say he killed his kids. Later, getting close to trial, a radio station asks callers for their opinion. A woman calls in. I never liked him. I always thought there was something kind of off about him, and it doesn't surprise me a bit. A man calls in. They should fry him. He needs to burn in hell. A woman. What kind of daddy would kill his own babies like that? Another woman. Things like this don't happen here. A man. I'll shoot him myself. Another man. Boy took three innocent lives. The only thing I regret is we can't kill him three times over. It's August of 1992 and the trial has started. The prosecutor shows the jury of a picture of three cute little girls and says, take a look at these sweet little babies. Carmen and Cameron, barely a year old and already brimming with life. Little Amber, eagerly awaiting for Santa's visit in only two days. Now I want you to try to imagine these little angels burning in their beds. And then he shows them a picture from the fire scene and says, this was no arson, this was murder. The neighbor who called 911 is on the stand. She testifies, Well, I barely poked my head out of the door when he just stood there with a strange look in his eyes. That's total bullshit, Todd says loudly. His lawyer tells him to shut up. To the best of your knowledge, did Todd Willingham ever make an attempt to get back into the house? The prosecutor asks her. Her answer was, He was too worried about that car of his. He didn't try to save those kids until the cops showed up. It was like he was putting on a show. The fire investigator is on the stand now, and he says, Fire talks to you. It does not lie. The prosecutor asks, And what did the fire tell you? That it was deliberately set by human hands. He then says, Someone poured gas through the children's room, and even in the shape of a pentagram under their bed, the symbol of the devil, and he kept pouring gas down the hall, creating a fire barrier, preventing any escape. The other investigator is on the stand, and he talks about the crazed glass, saying it was another indication that the fire was goosed by liquid additive. He also tells the court that the refrigerator was moved to block the back door. The prosecutor asks him how many fires he has worked on, and he tells them more than 1,200. Willingham's former cellmate, from when he was first put in jail, is then called to the stand. He tells the court that Willingham told him that he came home and found one of the kids was either badly hurt were dead. Todd yells out in court at this, so he decided to cover it up by starting the fire. The prosecutor asks him if Todd told him who had injured the child. The cellmate says it was his wife. Stacy is the one to yell out at this. What? After the cellmate leaves the stand, Todd gets up and starts yelling. Y'all need to start speaking some truth around here. 
His lawyer tries to get him to sit down. No, this is corrupt. Don't believe that shit. The prosecution then brings on witnesses to tell about Todd's history of violence. A man testifies that Todd beat him half to death just for flirting with Stacy one night at a bar. Then a woman testifies that she saw Stacy with bruises and a busted lip, as well as a black eye and red marks on her stomach. She claims Stacy told her it was because she was pregnant and Todd wanted her to have a miscarriage. Stacy herself went on the stand then and told them that was not the truth, that Todd did not beat her up trying to get her to abort. She said he even went with her to the doctor when he found out she was pregnant with the twins, and he was excited. She told them that she was not saying they didn't fight, but she gave him just as many bruises as he gave her. The prosecutor asks her how she can be sure that he didn't commit that crime. Because he loved those babies, and he loves me. The prosecutor asked Stacy about being a victim of family violence as a child and being raised by her grandmother. He asks her to tell them what happened to her mother. She was killed. By your father? She nods, yes. No further questions. You don't understand, Stacy says, getting louder. Todd is not like that. Todd would never do anything to hurt those babies. He loves those babies with all his heart. He treated those babies better than anybody else did. Everyone in here making up lies. No one is paying attention to the fact. No one's telling the truth. Stacy continues on, and she is crying as she leaves the witness stand. The jury is sent out to decide. Willingham's lawyer is waiting with him to hear from the jury. Todd is standing up, and his lawyer tells him to have a seat. It's only been 40 minutes, he says. It can take days for the jury to deliberate. Then the door buzzes, and a deputy tells them the jury is coming in. He is found guilty and sentenced to death. The movie goes to Todd walking the dog run on his way into prison. The other prisoners are jeering at him and calling him baby killer. Even the prison guard escorting him is calling him baby killer and telling him all the gruesome details about death row and the execution process. Even at night, with lights out, prisoners are hollering down the row asking him if he is that Willingham fella, the one that burned them babies. The next day, he starts a fight with a guy in the showers who calls him baby killer. After they break up the fight, they take him to solitary, but before he is locked in, one of the guards beats him up some more. While he is in there, he is remembering everything. The good and the bad, the good memories with his kids and his wife, and the bad memories with his wife where they fought. He says out loud, we both fucked up, and you fucked up too. He is seemingly regretting that they weren't better parents, better people. Then he is having nightmares about the fire. His girls are calling out to him. He finds himself trapped in the fire and he can't get out. He writes to Stacy and asks her why she doesn't visit him. He expresses how much he loved her daughters and that he did not set the fire. He did not kill their babies. After being released from solitary, he gets to talking to the guy in the cell next to him, Ponchai. Ponchai tells him he should write a letter to the Texas Equal Justice Initiative if he thought his lawyer really did not defend him well. Todd gets a new lawyer who tells him that after looking into it, he can say his lawyer really did do a shit job and basically sold him down the river. He says he will work on the case. In the meantime, he gives him a transcript of his court case and some books to read. The friendship between Todd and Ponche continues through as many men walk past their cells on their way to their death. They play checkers through the bars, cards, and listen to the Dallas Cowboys game on the radio. Then one day, Ponche tells Todd he got his date. 
He says they are moving him to the observation cell because they are afraid he's going to kill himself. That next morning, Ponchai is praying for courage. When they come for him, he struggles. He tells them to get off of him. He screams that it is not his time yet. Todd is trying to help him. He tells him to stand tall. Ponch tells him he can't do it. Yes, you can, brother. You can, Ponch. Todd tells him, stand tall. Todd keeps strong, saying his name, Ponchai James, over and over again, until he disappears down the hall. Ponchai James. Then he is silent. The screen goes dark. Then it says on the screen, 1999, seven years later. A woman gets a letter from a prison inmate who said the TCADP, Texas Coalition to Abolish the Death Penalty, gave him her address and said that she might be willing to correspond with a person such as himself. The woman is Elizabeth, and the inmate writing to her is Cameron Todd Willingham. Elizabeth is visiting her ex-husband in the hospital. She is telling him how she gave a ride to a woman with car trouble, and because Elizabeth is a writer, the woman thought she would be a good one to correspond with this inmate, as his story is interesting. The ex-husband is dying, and Elizabeth is trying to be a comfort to him as well as to the two teenage kids that they share together. After a while, Elizabeth writes Todd back and eventually agrees to visit him. Todd no longer has the mullet. He has a goatee and a trimmed-up haircut. They talk briefly before his time is up. She tells him about being divorced and her kids and her ex-husband who is dying. He talks about Amber and his twins and tells her that he didn't do it. The next day, she is talking to her friends about the visit. One of the friends says she heard he was a devil worshiper and that he burned his kids alive as a sacrifice. Later, she arrives home to find her kids crying. They tell her their father just passed away. Elizabeth needs to take time with her kids. Eventually, Elizabeth decides to go ahead and start looking into Todd's case as she continues to write him. She goes to the county clerk's office and gets the transcript. The first thing she finds that hits her is that in the police interview with the neighbor across the street, she told them that Todd had wanted to get back into the house so bad he hit the window with the tire iron, but the fire just blew that glass back at him. She said she never saw a man cry so hard. This was not the same thing as what she said as a witness on the stand. The more that Elizabeth reads, the more questions she has. She goes to see the lawyer Todd had in his trial. He tells her how he knew of Todd before the trial. Whole town knew of him, he said. He was the kind you would cross the street to stay out of his way. Nothing but trouble, that boy, he says. Tell you a little story. Night after Todd's children died, the whole town had a gathering to raise money for their funeral. He acted like he just won the lottery. Drinking, playing darts, playing and whooping it up. Elizabeth says, And just because someone acts inappropriately doesn't mean they are a murderer, though, right? She meets with the second lawyer, and he tells her he worked the case for six years and got nowhere. They denied his habeas corpus. He also tells her she is asking to reopen the case based on character witnesses when the primary factor in this conviction was the arson investigation. She then goes to visit the first cellmate that Todd had, the one that testified that Todd confessed to him while in the first days of jail. She questions him about that, and did he get a reduced sentence or anything else in exchange for his testimony? He gets uncomfortable and tells her he doesn't want to talk anymore. She goes back to Todd and tells him that she really thinks this guy was a snitch and that he was paid off to testify to that story. She also points out that there was supposed to be a gas can involved in the pouring of the gas on the kid's floor 
but no gas can was ever found. Those two things, along with Stacy's testimony saying he would never hurt his kids, well, she thinks that he really has a chance at appeal with all of this. Elizabeth next finds out that the doctor that testified that Todd was a sociopath never even met him, and that since then he had been expelled from the American Psychiatric Association for making diagnoses without meeting defendants. He was pretty much brought in whenever they wanted to get the death penalty. His nickname was Dr. Death. She goes for a radio interview about Todd's case. She is asked if she is spearheading the effort to prove Todd's innocence. I wouldn't say spearheading, but I am helping his lawyer. Todd's trial was a complete travesty. In prison, Todd is listening to a ball game on the radio. One of the other inmates yells down at him to change the station. They are talking about you on the radio. He changes the station in time to hear, How do you expect to change people's minds who know of Todd's past, that he beat his wife in front of multiple witnesses? I mean, have you ever been cruel to someone in your life, Elizabeth says? That make you a murderer? No. It was very clear that witness testimony changed from the time they talked to the police to the time they were in the courtroom. There's new DNA evidence on this case. There may be new fire evidence. There are more questions to answer here. So what you are telling me here is that you believe that Todd is innocent? Mm, yes, I am. I believe the state of Texas is about to kill an innocent man. There is more than enough evidence for Todd to be granted an appeal. Soon after this, Todd is given his execution date, February 17, 2004. Elizabeth visits Todd after the radio interview and is excited as she keeps reading and finding new stuff. She says she has reached out to someone who is supposed to be a world expert on fire, last name Hurst. She got a message to him and he lives in Austin. Todd stops her and tells her he doesn't want his last days to be filled with her false hope. He tells her he is grateful for all the faith she has had in him, all the work, everything. But he says it doesn't matter what truth she finds now, it won't make any difference. He is feeling resigned now that he has an execution date. He tells her he lied. He lied to everybody, he says. He tells her that he told everyone that he went straight into the girls' room, which he did, crawled over to them with burning shit falling on him and smoke, fire everywhere. Everything was on fire. He says he tried to get in, but he couldn't because it was too hot. He starts to say, I already knew they... But he tears up and drops the phone. He just looks down and starts to cry and cries. Then he picks the phone back up and looks at Elizabeth through the glass and tells her he was too afraid to see his own kids burning to death. He tells her he wanted to go back in, but he couldn't because he was too afraid. So he tells her, any man who can't save his own kids don't deserve to live. Later, Elizabeth meets with the lawyer and tells him that Todd wants to stop. Maybe he is right. Maybe we are just torturing him, she says. The lawyer tells her this is not just about Todd. Elizabeth goes by Stacy's house and asks her to go see Todd. She tells her how Todd loves her and talks about her all the time. She tells her he has changed and to please just go see him. Then a call that Elizabeth has been waiting for finally comes in. It is Dr. Hurst. She and the lawyer go together to see him. He gives them demonstrations on fire to show how some things were wrong at the scene. He pours a small puddle of gasoline on the concrete and lights a match. They all watch it burn down and he asks them what they see. Nothing. Exactly, he says, nothing. No burn signature. 
Then he heats up a pane of glass and sprays it with cold water. The glass crackles. He tells them that the crazed glass was from the fire hoses hitting the hot glass. He tells them that he spent two days going over every detail of this case. The thing about investigators, he tells them, they tend to find what they are looking for, even if it is not there. He said he felt the investigators went in believing that Todd was guilty. He said they were so sure it was arson that they never inspected the space heater. Whoever installed the electrical wiring never even heard of a safety code. He says the flames went up the ceiling, burning the walls before moving back down. The fire was what we called a flashover, he says. Instant combustion of everything flammable. The V pattern, the experts found, also a signature of a flashover. The lawyer asks him about the accelerant on the front porch. Dr. Hurst says a charcoal grill and lighter fluid that the experts somehow neglected to mention. Elizabeth asks about the refrigerator that was blocking the back door. Linoleum underneath is untouched. It was always there, never been moved, Dr. Hurst said. My report is based on hundreds of hours of experiments by the most rigorous scientists in the field. The lawyer sent over the new findings. It's denied almost immediately, and he calls and asks how it can be denied before they even read it. He tells them it is a new interpretation of existing evidence using scientific methods that weren't available then. That constitutes new evidence. He drafts an appeal for a 30-day stay of execution. Stacy goes to see Todd in prison. Todd is so glad to see her, but Stacy is uncomfortable. He tells her that he is told his only chance now is a stay of execution from the governor, and he just needs a statement from her. She tells him that she doesn't think she can do that. She tells him that she wrote a letter to Governor Richards before, and she didn't respond. Todd tells her that she has to go to Governor Perry now. Stacy tells him she was the only one defending him for years. He asks her what is stopping her now. She tells him a lot of things are stopping her. Her grandma, for one. She says, do you have any idea how many people don't want me to? He says he only cares about her. She says she just doesn't think she can do it. He asks her why she came there, then. He starts to talk about the money, the insurance money. Where did it go? He could have used it to defend himself. She says she needed it to rebuild her life, to survive. The talk goes way downhill from there. They start to argue like they used to do, and it gets really heated. In the end, he asks her why it took 12 years to come and see him. She yells out, because they told me you killed my babies. They are told to stop yelling. Todd talks softer now. But you know I didn't. You know I wouldn't hurt them kids, Stacy. You know. He tells her he spent 12 years thinking about it, and he apologizes if he ever hurt her. He tells her he loved her. She is crying and asks him to stop. We made three beautiful children, and now they are gone. He's crying, too. He tells her, I'm just asking this one thing now. Sobbing, Stacy tells him she has to go, and she puts the phone back on the handle. She leaves. Todd sits there for a while. He knows it is over. It's five days before the execution, and nothing has changed. The guards come to move Todd to a cell closer to the chamber. Then Johnny Webb sees on the news that there is five days until the execution. He is the one who testified saying Todd Willingham confessed to him in jail. He writes a letter saying he was forced to testify against Todd by the DA office and other officials. He recanted his testimony in the letter. In the movie, they show the letter going to the DA office and being put in a drawer. 
Stacy goes out in front of her house with her brother to face the news crews out there. She used to believe he was innocent, testified forcefully in court about it, but then as the execution was nearing, she changed her mind and said she believes he did it. She lets her brother speak for her. He says, Texas is doing the right thing making that monster pay for what he did. That's all we have to say. They both go back in the house. It's one day before the execution. Elizabeth is talking to Todd on the phone. About Stacy, she says, she's terrified. There is a pause, then she says, they're all running scared after the Hearst report. He tells her he asked his mom and dad not to come. It would be too much for them. Elizabeth tells him the report is on the governor's desk right now. He tells her that he is getting scared now. Not about dying, but that it's going to hurt. They say it hurts so much, he tells her. He says, you're going to be there, right? Promise. Good, he tells her. I don't want to die alone. Later, Elizabeth is driving and she is T-boned by a large truck. In prison, Todd asks the guard how much longer. He says about an hour and a half. Nobody called? I'm sorry, brother, the guard said. I'm definitely expecting a phone call, boss. The guard tells him he knows. Elizabeth Gilbert, you let me know the second she calls, right? I promise. In the hospital, the doctor tells Elizabeth's kids that she is in critical but stable condition and they are confident she will pull through. Unfortunately, he is not sure if she will ever be able to walk again. They are taking her into surgery now, he tells them. When the guards go to get Todd, he is laying flat, stomach down, on the floor of his cell. They tell him it is time and to get up, but he doesn't move. They have to pick him up and carry him out. He stays stiff as a board, but screams no repeatedly. They put him on a stretcher and wheel him down the hall. When the curtain opens for the people in the observation area to see, Todd is upright and strapped in. He sees his ex-wife out there and says, she doesn't have to be here, does she? He is half crying and he says, I hope you rot in hell, bitch. He is asked for his final words. I am an innocent man, convicted of an unspeakable, heinous crime which I did not commit, he says to everyone there. Twelve years I've been wrongly persecuted despite me maintaining my innocence. It is my dying wish that my body be cremated and that my ashes spread across my daughter's graves. From God's dust I came, now to God's dust I judiciously return. Then the earth shall be my throne. All right then, y'all, he says to the guards. They tilt the table down to a laying position. Todd is breathing nervously while they hook everything up and then start the mechanics of the lethal injection. His body seizes and convulses. The witnesses are uncomfortable watching this. Eventually, he is pronounced dead. Elizabeth gets a letter Todd wrote her while waiting for her call and for his execution. Hey, groovy lady. I'm wondering where you are. I guess something big must have come up. When you read this, I'll be gone. But I wanted to tell you about this dream I had. Me and my girls were out for a walk or some such. It was one of those cool fall days. Football weather, my daddy used to call it. Funny thing, you were there too. Out for a walk, I guess. I suppose that there is a lot of reasons to feel sorry for myself. My greatest regret is not being allowed to be buried beside my girls. But thanks to you, I have tried to make my peace. You showed me that love is always there if you just open yourself to it. 
you help me to learn to enjoy the simple blessings of being alive. I only wish I had something to give you in return, besides my love, always. Yours truly, Todd. The movie turns to a scene with Elizabeth in a wheelchair, and her kids are helping her to spread Todd's ashes on his daughter's graves. As her children wheel her away, words come across the screen. Though paralyzed, Elizabeth Gilbert has never stopped fighting for Todd Willingham. The Innocence Project, alongside Todd's family, continues to press the state of Texas to acknowledge it executed an innocent man. In 2011, responding to evidence from five of the nation's foremost scientists, the Texas Forensic Science Commission supported Dr. Hurst's conclusion that the arson evidence was invalid. Since 1980, 158 men and women have come within days of being executed before new evidence revealed their innocence. In real life, Elizabeth Gilbert was in a car accident, but it was much earlier than the date of his execution. She was kept from being there for the execution because she was in the hospital. Stacy Kuykendall has continued to say that she believes Todd is guilty. She continues to make it known that she does not think he should be pardoned. Gerald Hurst, whose report was sent to the governor before Willingham's execution, has said, There's nothing to suggest to any reasonable arson investigator that this was an arson fire. It was just a fire. The article in The New Yorker is a great source if you want to read more. The movie was based on the article by David Grant and the letters of Cameron Todd Willingham. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. The article also tells the stories of some other interesting cases, including ones of fire, where the investigators were pointing to signs of arson, when in fact it was later proved there was no arson. Todd had explained why he moved the car down the driveway during the fire. He wasn't worried about his car. He was worried about the fuel in the car making the fire worse. He didn't want it to explode by the house, further endangering the children. Elizabeth Gilbert met with Todd's father and stepmother one day when they were out visiting him. He had spoken with them the night before the fire. Todd told them that he and Stacy had just picked up family photos that they would give to them when they saw them on Christmas. Todd had put Amber on the phone. He sounded happy. Todd's father said his son had his faults, but he was no killer. A former probation officer of Todd's, as well as a judge that he had come in front of as a juvenile, said that he had not demonstrated sociopathic behaviors. The probation officer said Todd had come by her office a few months before the fire just to visit and show her pictures of his kids. He was proud of them. When Elizabeth Gilbert interviewed Stacy, Stacy had told her that she and Todd had not fought the night before the fire and that she even cried saying she didn't think Todd should be on death row and she didn't think he did it. In the arson report, one of the investigators recalled the space heater being set to off. Stacy said she was pretty sure it was on. It was a cool winter night. Two prosecution experts who testified that Willingham was a sociopath had never met him. One was expelled from his professional association three years later for unethical behavior. Willingham's former probation officer and a judge both directly refute any notion that he was a sociopath. Stay tuned after the music for the bonus movie name. The bonus movie is Moorside, 
I found that on Amazon BritBox. It's a 2017 movie. It stars Sheridan Smith, Cian Brooke, and Faye McKeever. A drama about the search for missing Yorkshire schoolgirl Shannon Matthews in 2008. Do yourself a favor and do not Google her case. If you don't, the ending will surprise you. Even if you do know the case, the movie is worth watching. Great acting and well-told story. Definitely recommend this movie. Thank you for listening. If you would like to support this podcast, please tell a friend and share about the podcast on social media. Until next time, please be safe. The sources for this episode can be found in my show notes and are as follows. Cameron Todd Willingham's ex, Stacy Kukendall, says Texas shouldn't pardon him. Exclusive Huff Post. Cameron Todd Willingham, Wikipedia. Cameron Todd Willingham wrongfully convicted and executed in Texas Innocence Project. Murder of his three young children by Cameron Todd Willingham examined on Evil Lives Here, MonstersAndCritics.com. Five things to know about the Cameron Todd Willingham case, crime history, investigation, discovery. Stacy Kukendall now, where is Cameron Todd Willingham's ex-wife today update, thecinemaholic.com. Where is Stacey Willingham from Trial by Fire in 2019, refinery29.com. Where is Trial by Fire playwright Elizabeth Gilbert now, refinery29.com. Disturbing evidence that Texas executed an innocent man, Cameron Todd Willingham, ranker.com. A dad was executed for deaths of his three girls. Now a letter casts more doubt, the Washington Post. Jury clears the prosecutor who sent Cameron Todd Willingham to death row, the Marshall Project. Willingham v. State, 1995, Texas Court of Criminal Appeals, Decisions, Texas Case Law, Texas Law, U.S. Law, Justia. Interviews, Elizabeth Gilbert, Death by Fire, Frontline, PBS. Posthumous pardon denied for the case of Texas man Cameron Todd Willingham, executed for arson that killed his kids, put spotlight on pardons after death, CBS News. Ten executed prisoners that were later found to be innocent, unbelievablefacts.com. Trial by Fire, The New Yorker. Trial by Fire, True Story of Innocent Dad Executed for Killing His Three Children, Mirror Online. Myths and Facts About the Willingham Case, Innocence Project.